Gold from The Professor is in. Welcome to the new version of our podcast. We are recording our podcast live on Wednesday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific. Make sure you're subscribed to The Professor is in newsletter to be sure and get that link if you'd like to join us live. Or you can listen to the edited version in the podcast form the following Tuesday. If you'd like to support the live or the podcast, you can head over to bit.ly slash ourpod, B-I-T dot L-Y slash O-U-R-P-O-D and help support these ongoing programs. Thanks a lot. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome to The Professor is In Wednesday Live and following Tuesday podcast. I am Kel Weinhold of The Professor is In. And I am Dr. Karen Kelsky of The Professor is In. And we are happy to greet you every week on webinar or Facebook. And you can find the link to Zoom on the Facebook page or in email. It's everywhere. And join us at 2 p.m. Pacific for the live version of this. Or you can, as you may be doing now, listen to the podcast on the following Tuesday. And the topic of today is managing, surviving, navigating your first couple of years in fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. I thought cool. it was. I thought it was actually managing academia per se, specifically academia. Oh yeah, sorry. I meant okay. your first year in. When I did fill in the blank, I meant in my head. I meant graduate school, mm-hmm. pre-tenure, tenure. Okay. Uh, I was, the reason that we're talking about that is because we did a survey and discovered that many of our uh, readers and email newsletter subscribers wanted really wanted more content about just like being in academia, mm-hmm. <laughs> how to make it work. So how to make it work for you. And speaking of the survey, the survey was part of, if you are subscribed to the um, professors in newsletter, and even if you subscribe now, if you are not yet, when you subscribe, you are automatically put into an automated email series that gives you a month free advice on four topics, productivity, increasing your acceptance rate, um, the academic job market, and leaving the academy. So the people who do that also then gets an email asking a little bit of a survey about that and their their needs and wants. And we really heard people today say, can you just tell us how to make it through this, please, please? <laughs> Which I feel barely up to the task. I don't know yeah, about you. I mean, right? yeah. So tomorrow morning, I am giving a, a virtual talk at a conference, a grad student conference for grad students in the field of design. And they asked me to speak about valuing yourself in knowing your own value in academia. And I was just going over the slides to that uh, right before this. And, and I think that it is very much relevant to surviving to, it's very much the key to survival, I think, in a way, especially right now, because when you know your own value, you have a sense of your own value, which this is not just a black or white thing, like you know it or you don't know it. That's not how it works. It's like you have a vague sense of it. You kind of sometimes act accordingly. Oftentimes you don't. You just keep trying. So um, it's a stumbling in the dark process. Basically, if you know your own value and if you're working toward living like you know your own value, 
it does prevent a certain level of exploitation and, and overwork. Right. It mitigates against that. So go ahead, Karen. That was really that was really interesting what you were talking about. Well, I was just gonna give a little tiny example of uh, when I started painting the ridiculous bunny paintings and there was no reason whatsoever that I should have wanted to do those. And there was a lot of other work that I could have been doing that would have been more in line with, you know, my professional aspirations and goals and money-making. But some, some impulse deep inside me, like literally would not be denied. It was like, you will paint these and you will paint these now. Mm -hmm. And, and so if I had really said I should be developing webinars for the professor is in and I should be, you know, doing marketing and I should be, you know, that would have been what I should have done. But instead what I did, what I wanted to do was paint those ridiculous paintings. And the fact is, I, I still don't entirely understand why I painted those. And I'm not even sure if I'm going to paint anymore. I really don't know, but they, they, they did something. They opened something up for me that changed me and they spoke to a lot of people. And so they've created, they've become a new thing that that is meaningful in my life. And that is meaning, actually meaningful for the professor as in the business as well. And a different, and a new way of understanding what it is that I do and who I am and what, and what the business is about and what my message is. And so actually on a larger sense, they, I, they were exactly what I should have been doing. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to articulate. And so I hope that everybody pays attention to what you want to do and really respect that and allow it to tell you what you should be doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also think that that, you know, that idea, that, um, that idea of not living up to your own expectations mm -hmm. is based on not is based on not adjusting your expectations to the current moment, right? So if you, frustration is the distance between where you are and where you think you should be. So you come and you're like frustrated or feel like I'm not living up to something in that you are basically denying what's going on with you. So, you know, if you look at the bunnies, it's like, okay, you could have, talked yourself out of in multiple ways why you weren't going to do these bunnies mm -hmm. but you did them because they had for you a particular meaning mm -hmm. and and they don't have to have a meaning in the larger business corporate whatever thing it's mm -hmm. just that's just what that's just what you did so mm -hmm. i don't know I, I'm agreeing with you and just trying to like articulate even more or tease apart mm -hmm. the ways in which we get ourselves hung up by, by like we get ourselves hung up by continuing to hold ourselves to a moment that's not the current moment, mm -hmm. right? We're trying to make ourselves be pre-pandemic. We're trying to um, do almost anything then just deal with what's here right now because what's here right now is rather challenging, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's much easier just to say, I'm just gonna go back and I don't know, I'm, I'm not being particularly articulate. No, I think it's, um, and I mean, in the end, it gets down to fetishizing productivity 
And, you know, and in some ways I look out at the landscape right now and I, I mean, just this onslaught, this assault. And it's like everywhere your eyes rest, every, you know. I don't know if it's rest. Well, yeah, it's not rest. It's like a light or whatever. It's new trauma. It's new distress. It, there's almost nothing. There's almost no relief anywhere. And so wherever you find relief, if that's what you quote unquote want to be doing, whether that's like, I just feel compelled to do yoga. I feel compelled to walk out in the forest. I feel compelled to immerse myself in painting absurd little paintings. Like these, our brains are crying out for this. And so are our hearts actually. So I realize these are not exactly a path to tenure. (laughs) I am aware that there are other imperatives, but it may be that that this is really your best case. Your best uh, path there is actually through whatever seems the most counterproductive. Right? Like maybe what we need right now more than anything is just to like, is to just say, okay, I'm going to pay attention to what I actually need and want in this moment, Mm -hmm. not what my job wants, not what these things. And I know that, you know, I understand it's not sustainable in that sense of like, we really have to figure out how to, um, right. We, 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 we have to figure out how to survive in capitalism and not be consumed by capitalism, which is, it's, which is a very, very, very difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so that question of, of how to do that comes down to, it seems like in this particular moment, we're called on more than we've ever been before in terms of surviving this particular stretch that everything is teaching us in every single moment you have to go back to you. Mm-hmm. If you keep trying to go back to them in terms of what p- other them being outside sources want from you, that's when you really have the question of whether you can, it's sustainable, right? So I, I have to come back to me because I am finding in this situation, the only sustainable path through this, this wild time that we're living in is to come back to me. Mm-hmm. And every time I go out there and it's so hard for academics, so hard for everybody, but I just have such compassion for academics because you've spent so many years being trained by, to look for external approval, mm-hmm. external feedback that you're doing okay. Mm-hmm. And so to say, I don't know anymore if I'm doing okay, because the system is now telling me that it's all back to normal and I should be doing this. My whole system says, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm exhausted because we're just fried. Mm-hmm. So, right. And and know your own value is a big ask mm-hmm. um, in a place that tells you constantly that you don't have value because you haven't reached the next step. And so one of the things that I think we need to do is do a, a quick assessment. I mean, a quick reminder about the academy that in, it is a particularly, in the way I've been describing it this last week with the per, people I'm working for, it is, it's particularly I'm committed to making the next step you've taken the new floor. So what I mean by that is, you know, you start off and you get accepted to graduate school and okay, that's great. But your next step is to finish your coursework. And then you get there and that's the new floor. We're no longer going to recognize that you did your coursework. Now you need to do your, um, your field work mm-hmm. or do your comps, I should say, or then there's this and this, and every single time you get to that level, just move the floor up. Mm-hmm. So there's never any recognition that you've climbed stairs 
And you said it so brilliantly last week or the week before about your Japanese skills. You know, I don't get any credit for my Japanese skills among Japan scholars because everybody has Japanese skills. Mm -hmm. So, so you just erase as an accomplishment because everybody else is there. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that when we think about that coming into a new position, right? So if I'm coming into graduate school or I'm coming into um, my first couple of years on the tenure track, any one of those things, you're, you're, it's really super hard to manage your sense of movement and your sense of accomplishment when every single accomplishment you make is erased. Mm -hmm. Absolutely confident in that answer. I went way off topic from the, what you were talking about because I lost track of it, but I'm just making that point. So um, I, I can't, I've lost the thread. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, 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 though, because so I am continually these days thinking about the people who are all over Twitter right now saying, um, oh, I just got accepted to a PhD program. It's incredible. I, I'm going to be a doctor. And, uh, and they're just incredible joy right. and excitement. And, you know, knowing, knowing what's in store for them. Right. And knowing right. that within a couple of years or, you know, however many years, but it's inevitable. It is like literally inevitable that they're going to be disillusioned to some degree. And whether right. it's going to be a right. devastating disillusionment where they literally leave the academy or whether it's just going to be a kind of garden variety embitteredness, but it's going to happen. And and I think that that is so much about what you just said which is that you, that we're never as happy as that moment where we get admitted to graduate school. <laughs> because at that moment, it's like, wow, my, my, my potential has been acknowledged. My talent has been acknowledged. That's the last time that's gonna happen. Well, and here's the thing. Okay, I'm gonna go back to your know your own worth. I don't think it has to be that way. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have to, I don't think the system has to crush us. Uh, and I think that if we go into the system with a sense of our own value, because I feel like people, so there are people who go into the academy and they, they have done, they've worked outside the academy for a while, they've worked in industry, they've done sort of things that, that have helped them shape their sense of who they are. Mm -hmm. So when they go in there, they're like, what the fuck, you know, step off, leave me alone, I got to do my thing. And I think a lot of times, sometimes those people get looked down on for being more strategic about their PhD, less invested in the whatever's going on in the room or in the politics. But in fact, there's a strategy in there. So if, if I could, if, if we want to talk about like strategies for surviving your first couple of years in whichever level that you're in, it's coming back to assessing the situation based on what's working for you and resist, resist, resist that obsession with what do other people think of me mm -hmm. right and that happens in graduate school the the sort of mentorship model the cloying thing that happens with graduate students about like trying to make themselves invaluable to their mentors mm -hmm. the and i'm not dissing graduate school there students there by the way that sounds kind of negative about graduate students that's just the way the system's set up right it, the hierarchy thing makes you kind of want to chase that affection mm -hmm. or, or approval. And then you get on the tenure track and you sort of like everything, you start to think every single thing you're doing affects your tenure, how you talk to that person, what you wore in class, what the pace of 
all your, you know, your publications, all of it. So the pace of publications could, the other stuff is imagine, because we get so far out over our skis trying to control everybody's opinion of us mm-hmm. that we forget why we're there. And it deeply affects your public, your ability to produce. Mm-hmm. But I just think there's, it's worth it to go back to what you said is like, know your own worth mm-hmm. and your own value as you step into that first new step. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in terms of what I am going to say at my event tomorrow, in my talk tomorrow and um, reminding myself uh, of that is sometimes it's just, sometimes I just some scripts are all you need. Some, right. some, some, some speaking scripts because they're so shocking when you, and they're so difficult when you actually do them. So um, so jumping, you know, right into the, something, one of those, it would be like, no, I'm not available to serve on that committee. Right. Right. No, I cannot have the article, the manuscript to you by May 1st, but I can have it to you by June 1st. Right. And, and, you know, that's did a problem. Perfect- did people listening, do you guys realize you're entitled to do that? You're completely entitled to do that. Now, I just want to qualify that. You also have to understand the politics of your department and what it means to say no to being on a committee or those sort of things. You just can't, most places you can't wholeheartedly just sweep through without recognizing that. We have to say yes to some things. Right, but I just feel like people get so tied up in, I have to do everything you ask of me Mm -hmm. that they don't, they're not, they're not strategic in what they're saying, right? They're not saying, okay, here's the strategy. I need to build relationships. I need to do this. I need to do that. And instead it's just like, I must do everything that's ever asked of me, or I will not get tenure mm-hmm. or I must do everything I've ever asked of me, or I won't get a good letter when I want to get a job mm-hmm. or I will we need to do everything that's asked of me post tenure, or I won't get to full, or I won't get that administrative position. So there's a whole bunch of ceasing to recognize what you bring to the table in an attempt to meet get everybody to like you because mm-hmm. you're afraid of their power over you and they do have power over you i'm not pretending that letters don't matter and tenure committees don't matter they do i just watch people get way the needle go way over to the other side mm-hmm. because they lose their sense of self mm-hmm. so if i was going to give one piece of advice for surviving your first year or two in either the beginning of the PhD or the tenure track. And and to be honest, even in tenure, it's for you to create communities that ground you back in real life, that you, that you maintain. I think of it sometimes like, you know how like really, really famous people have people that have been their friends since before they were famous because they can trust that those people were their friends because they were their friends, not because they're, you know, whoever. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that we need that. Mm-hmm. We, the Academy will suck you in and away from that. And it make, make, tell the whole story of, you know, your, your mind, your intellect, your everything are so much greater than this thing and you lose your community and that community will keep your feet grounded and saying, that's a really weird thing for someone to ask of you. <laughs> like that's, that's not okay for that advisor to say that to you, yeah, you know? Yeah. Although by the end, by the same token, it's helpful for your committee, wait, your use said community, 
which is is invaluable, but also to have a no committee yes. um, of fellow academics, because nobody understands academia and these pressures like except for other academics and your your friends in your community are fantastic, but they just don't get it. The, mm -hmm. and, and something as simple as, well, why would you write an article if you don't get paid for it? Right. Well, you know, I mean, we do. Uh, and that's our model for better or worse. We write scholarly articles. We don't get paid for them, but we get paid in indirect ways. They could they allow us to continue drawing our salary. We, you know, get tenure, we get job security, all these things. But, you know, they don't people outside don't understand that. And that's OK. They don't have to. But for you to make these educated choices, um, you kind of need people who do understand that it is not an idiotic choice. <laughs> <laughs> to focus on writing your article for no pay, because right. actually that article is probably the single most important thing you'll be doing. Right. And I think for those of you who don't, you know, are coming in and not really understanding what we mean by a no committee, um, this is something that we both coach to and that I work in the, in the groups that I work, that I coach with, they serve for that for each other. But it's basically having fellow academics who are, have been through the experience and can say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, having a tenured person, the person who's gone to the other side and can, first of all, having a person who's finished a dissertation who can tell you that the dissertation is just a hurdle and quit being so freaking precious about it and just get it done, have those people on your note committee if you haven't made it. So make sure there's somebody in the step ahead of you who can say, no, 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 no. Don't serve on that committee, serve on this committee. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's good to have a committee of people that you can just come to and say, hey, this is what I have. This is what they're saying. They're asking me if I should do. And if everybody goes like this, this is no, 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 no. You have to trust it. And that's the hard part is people will say, well, you don't really understand because my department. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. So, yeah. and, and, it, and, it, and it really, and here's the thing about the people ahead of us, like having someone ahead of you. Having someone ahead of you in your own department may not be a smart strategic move. Having somebody ahead of you in a different department in the same university, having someone ahead of you and who's been through it in a similar university. I really, mm -hmm. I know there are a lot of good mentors out there, but I am loath to have people have their mentor be that person unless they know they're good. But if you've ever had bad advice from your mentor, then figure, some, figure someone else out. We have two um, questions on the Facebook page uh, asking about postdoctoral fellowships. And I'm not, to be honest, because two of you have asked me about them, I'm not quite sure what your question is. Um, someone says a little insight into postdoctoral fellowships. Most people in graduate school learn about the nitty gritty quite late. Uh, I would like to know if you could please uh, clarify for us, what are you asking? about postdocs and are you, and if you're asking about whether our advice is the same, good heavens, yes. I mean, it's almost, it's almost more so yeah. on a postdoc because a postdoc is temporary and you, you have to make that work for you. You have to, I mean, you have to come out of that postdoc. Postdocs can be quite treacherous because if they're a one-year postdoc, and I know STEM postdocs and humanities social science are very different things, but, um, but in a humanities social science postdoc, oftentimes they're just one year and you get there, but you're already, but it's August and you're just starting, but you're already applying for jobs for the following fall and you've only just started the postdoc. So you haven't benefited from the postdoc at all, yet you're putting it on the, your CV for applications 
for the jobs that start the next year. And, and then if you spend a bunch of time, say in the fall semester working on your, your job applications and you think, oh, I have this entire year, year of writing time, that year disappears like this. I, and pretty soon it's, it's spring semester and you realize, oh my God, I haven't done a single thing I thought I was gonna do in this postdoc. And yet, just to bring it full circle, the people who are reading your applications are saying, oh, she has a postdoc. So they have now a higher expectation of your productivity and your publications. So uh, postdocs, that's why they're treacherous is because you get into this complicated timing expectation thing. And so it's really important to put your head down as soon at the, and front load publishing, writing, research, writing, publishing in the beginning of that postdoc so that you really get in that habit and have something to show for it quickly by the time you need it for the job market that follows. Which really speaks to one of the other sort of strategies or key pieces of advice for anybody in any beginning in any position is the absolute necessary necessity for a plan, the absolute necessity for a plan. There is we say, Karen and I have said this for years, that your first year on the tenure track is like drinking from a fire hose. You go in there thinking, graduate school has been so hard. This has been so difficult. Finally, I have a job. Finally, I'm going to be able to just like get a grip. And what you find is that there are so many levels of new information coming at you that it is extremely difficult to just get through the year. Now, if I could persuade people to stop trying to get writing done, at least their first semester, if not their first year, and just say, you know what, this is my adjustment year. I'm going to learn everything I need to do. I'm going to do, and I'm going to keep kicking the research thing, like kick the can down the road. Mm -hmm. But no, I can't even figure out where my, where the laundry facility is. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to, what bus to take. Where's my email? Right. Oh my God, I just ended up in the wrong classroom on the other side of campus. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I'm on a massive ag campus and it takes me 25 minutes to walk between classes. Mm -hmm. How is this happening to me? I have the wrong shoes. There's just so much to learn. The same thing in graduate school. There's so much to learn. There's so much. It's like you're a new kid, like you're a little kid just absorbing so much information so fast. Give yourself a little bit of a break. Now that's where the postdoc give yourself a little bit of a break, but the postdoc really also reveals you have to have a plan. You can't just go into any one of those things and say, I'm just going to coast through this. It's what's your plan for that first year. Mm -hmm. your plan for your first year on the tenure track. I, and the way that you do that is by facing the reality of your situation, right? So you say, this is a postdoc. I also have to apply for jobs. I'm also supposed to speak at this colloquium. I also need to do this. All right. So this is what I have to devote every day to writing. This is what I have to devote to this. This is what I have to devote to that and not wait for it to all become clear to you. It's like you're taking the thing that's clear and doing it. And then you're waiting in the maelstrom and you're grabbing another thing. And then you're grabbing another thing until pretty soon you have something solid to stand on. But you can't just stand there and wait for like, this is going to make sense someday, right? No. And the calculations make are completely different for a tenure track job versus a, a postdoc, because yeah. as we said, the postdoc, you have to front load achievement so that you have something concrete to show from it, whereas a tenure track job, 
you know, my advice when I was department head was like just repeating what you just said, Cal, is don't expect to get any writing done. Right. Because it's too much. It's drinking from a fire hose. But you can't go into a postdoc like that. Right. Complete polar opposites in terms of that expectation. So yeah, postdocs are tricky too, because you maybe you are probably on a new campus, still don't know the bus system, don't know the campus, don't have the right shoes, but you have to rev up productivity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or at least you can't wait to get started. Mm -hmm. I think that more, more than I don't really, I'm not really a big fan of like the go in, go hard, like go what I, what I, because I think that people spin out and freak out when they come in going, I have to get this work done. I'm actually making the same claim for postdocs that I am for newly tenure track faculty is get a grip about what's possible, right? So if you go running into the postdoc, doing every single thing in the whole world as fast as you possibly can, you're gonna spin around because you're not paying attention to the things that need to get, all the things that need to get done. Same mm -hmm. thing on the tenure track. So pace yourself, but start right away mm -hmm. instead of start after a month while you sit there, you know, with your eyes wide going, holy shit. So anyway. Yeah. So, so first bit of advice, um, keep your community close. Second mm -hmm. bit of advice, get a realistic plan and you can get a realistic plan by talking to people who've been there before. Mm -hmm. and, and third piece of advice it is okay to say no yes um selectively yes. and strategically mm -hmm. and saying yes to everything is not a, a path to success even though your fear brain your lizard brain may be telling you that your lizard brain is wrong mm -hmm. very wrong mm -hmm. and they won't like you more and be more likely to vote for your tenure because you martyred yourself with excessive teaching and excessive service. Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to like, quote unquote, like you more at the point of third year review and tenure when you show them a CV that's packed full of articles. Well, when you show them a CV that matches the expectations for the university, because not every university is about how many articles you publish. So you have to be really strategic about most what the, is this. Most year. of them are. Most of them are. Including the ones that don't appear to be. Right. I'm just saying, I think sometimes people at teaching universities, the teaching universities that are expecting you to have three articles by the end of, by the time you come up for tenure, get really caught up in comparing themselves to their cohort, their graduate school cohort, somebody who's working at an entirely different university is producing more articles in the same field. And then they get in a, in a spin out because they're not being as productive, quote unquote, productive, failing to see teaching as a product. Mm -hmm. and and end up scrambling to try to do more than is reasonable for their job or the time that they have. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before we started the actual recording of this is like, what is what are you capable of doing with yourself in this moment? Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing I would, you know, advice is what are you in this moment that you are facing right now? in the third year of a pandemic, in whatever phase you are in, what are you capable of right now? Not what do you wish you were capable of? Mm -hmm. We can all grieve that. Mm -hmm. What are you capable of in this moment? And what's gonna take care of you to be able to have enough energy to write that article or teach that class? Mm -hmm. Yes. I worry about our academics out there. I do too. 
going, and that kind of brings us back to where we started with the uh, impulses, <laughs> the impulses to do things that are, are not quote unquote productive and, mm-hmm. you know, just more and more. I wish I had the tweet in front of me. I should, I think I should, I did show it to you, Pell. You cannot self-care, self-care your way through a global financial or existential catastrophe, right? I mean, I know we talk about that all the time, the structural, you know, depredations of neo, you know, late capitalism, but, but I, I kind of today feel like we want to bring it back to the micro, to the micro level, you know, really respecting yourself and respecting your own limits and respecting your impulses. Cause a lot of times our impulses are not, are, are our friends. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're not, but sometimes well, they are. I guess that I would argue that if we can get down to the actual response that we're having and quit muting it with all the things we're supposed to be feeling, uh-huh. we can, you know, if, if, if you have, if you are in one of these, I'm not advocating that people quit. I'm just saying that I feel like sometimes first year of graduate school, first year of tenure track, first year, of whatever people asking you to be on committees, people asking you to do things. You have some part of your whole body that's saying, no, I do not want to do this. Like screaming at you. I'm done. I've had it. And we shove that back down and say, well, you just need to march on. So, you know, I think we're both saying the same thing is we really have to start listening to that and saying, Mm -hmm. what can we do? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, if all I can do this week is paint, then that's what I can do. Mm -hmm. If all I can do is paint bunnies, that's what I can do. Mm -hmm. Yep. Our follow-up question. There's yeah. a question about the no committee that I want to get to. Okay. Somebody well, asked, okay. Asked. Well, the, the, the one question is just a factual question. Um, as a grad student, planning is something that is absolutely necessary. I feel is a postdoc a direct extension of areas we dealt with in grad school or can it be something entirely new? That's just a factual question about, about postdocs that um, if you're in the humanities and social sciences, uh, you do a postdoc that it typically a postdoc is meant to be at you where you convert your doctoral research into a book or a series of articles. So it's not a new project in the United States. European postdocs, though, they expect you to launch a new, uh, a brand new project. And if you, and, and across the board, there are all sorts of postdocs where you're coming in to work with other scholars and work on their work as well. So it really just depends on the postdoc. Mm-hmm. You can't really say a blanket statement about what postdocs or what, because it depends on the field. It depends on the country. It depends on the, the thing that it's defined as. I mean, there are, there are postdocs that are really all about finishing a book and there are postdocs that are all about joining a group of scholars to chat, to dig into questions of that mm-hmm. institute and it, of that place. And your research is about that but it's super hard to work, move your own work forward in that. So it depends. Mm-hmm. So what was the thing you wanted to talk about? I was just going back to the thing that we were talking about, which is the, the sort of how to manage it all in the no committees. And there was a question about how I have certainly said before to remember that your department mates aren't necessarily your friends. Mm-hmm. So who should be in your academic support group if those people are not your friends? And I think that this is one of those things of like advice on navigating the politics. If we can get ourselves grounded enough and our feet on the ground enough, we can assess really quickly who's undermining us and who's not. I see patterns in academics where those people who 
kind of undermine and diss and belittle us become the people that we chase to try to get their approval. So we ask them their opinion and we ask them for their feedback when they've told us right at the very beginning who they are. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say about work, making your colleagues, your academic support group is when people tell you who they are, believe them to quote Maya Angelou, Dr. Maya Angelou, remember, believe them. So pay attention. Sometimes you can meet amazing people and have amazing friends in your department. Mm -hmm. Other times you will meet people in other parts of your university. And, and so you have to be, you have to pay attention to what that instinct that we're talking about is saying. And if you're in, if you know you have a propensity to chase the approval of people who are unkind to you, and then those are the first people you reject from your committee. <laughs> Although honestly, that takes a lot of therapy to recognize that. Cause I don't think people, I don't think it's easy at all to recognize that you chase the approval of people who are unkind to you. <laughs> well, especially in a system that, that, that glorifies that, right? Right, but that glorifies that, yeah. Right, I yeah. Know, that's, oh, did I say it was easy? No. I'm sorry, I lied. No. Yeah, well, a lot of uh, uh, campuses have mentorship programs that are that will link you with somebody outside your department, and that's really great because they are they can be a better mentor in many ways because they are not they don't have any direct supervisory, whatever authority over you, so they can just be a resource. So that's great, but you can create that yourself. You don't have to wait for the university to do that for you if they don't have a program like that. You can attend things that um, the campus, you know, at different events and workshops that the campus uh, offers and little by little build out a community of people who are the kind of people who are generous with their advice and, and uh, support. And I think also that in terms of this building a community that, that we can get very, very discipline focused. And like, I need to have a community of people who are all in my field mm -hmm. of, you know, philosophy, studying logic, or my, my field of, you know, sociology, and I'm looking at corporate structures. You don't, what you mm -hmm. need to do is find someone who is going through the same thing you are. And that means that if you step onto a campus on any given year, there are three or four or five or 10 or 20 people who are stepping onto that campus right with you at that moment mm -hmm. and paying attention to who the new assistant professors are. Those, those horrible orientation things that you have to go and spend the entire day and people just sit there in a state of like, like a turtle with their head pulled in. If you can get yourself to be counter to the academic personality and actually watch people and pay attention and introduce yourself to people. So then you can a week later say, hey, I met you at the thing. Would you like to, you know, have coffee? Mm -hmm. And then you can meet that person and say, okay, I click with this person or, oh, that was weird. But you can like start from, when I say have a plan, that's part of the plan. Mm -hmm. Use everything the university gives you for your benefit. Mm -hmm. I've been to two orientations, three orientations, two at universities. And I can say, I failed to use them the way I should have used them. Mm -hmm. I sat there going, fuck, why you gotta make me, why? Why do I have to do this? Oh my God, could you people talk any more slowly? Mm -hmm. I could have read this in a 30, but instead what I should have been doing is looking around and understanding who was with me and taking the breaks to introduce myself and doing all the things that are counter to my basic introvert self 
and it would have made my path so much easier. Yeah. Because I was surrounded by tenured white men, old white men. Mm -hmm. So, yep. You got to be brave. And by the way, you can have uh, your no committee your, or whatever you want to call it can also be people on other campuses around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing stopping preventing that either. So so don't don't think too narrowly or rigidly about or yeah, or too locally mm -hmm. about who's available because the the kind of challenges that people that assistant professors face are in many ways universal across tenure track positions around, you know, uh, you know, universally. And then, and then of course there are the local politics. So you kind of need both really. You kind of yeah. need the, the big picture, you know, here's how, here's how to publish. Here's how to get into that major journal. Here's how to, which conference to go to, which one not to go to. Okay, what to do when you're at the conference. That's the big picture stuff. You totally need that. And then like, oh, avoid that guy. Yeah. <laughs> be a room, don't be in a room alone with that guy, right. you know? <laughs> Don't count on that guy. Don't serve on that committee. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so the local as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So, barring uh, any additional questions, I think we have uh, like some kind of uh, popcorn machine that we have bounced around to a multitude of, of topics today. I think it's all under the banner of. Um, things to think about how to navigate those those rocky times and and it basically it relates to everybody right now because it's just it's a lot of rocky times yes and everyone who's here now if you want to drop us a note about topics or thematics you'd like us to talk about moving forward please do we will totally look at those and we will look at those even if you're not here now and you're listening on the podcast oh yeah absolutely yeah all right thank everybody. you very much for joining us everybody we will see you next Wednesday when we will be back on the West. We will be back. Bye. Bye.